Thank you. It's good to be here with you. Um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, it doesn't matter to me. Tuesday morning, you know, as long as it's not before 9 a.m., I'm okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, as he mentioned, we're in the, in the Balkans. We are specifically in the country of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Two names, one place. Um, although Herzegovina is the southern part of Bosnia, and so they kind of have their own pride, kind of like we do down here, you know. People down here don't like to be called Yankees. Um, people in Herzegovina don't like to be called Bosnian a lot of times. So uh, even though they're, they're Bosnians, um, it's, a, it's an interesting place to be. So um, I will share with you a bit. Um, I told Brother Eric last night, I said, I can go from five minutes to 45 minutes. I could probably go longer if you ask my wife. But um, I, I uh, walk in every time with some sort of idea, but I, I tend to approach sharing at places the same way that we approach our ministry overseas. I, I have a great plan, but it's the Lord that directs my steps. And um, I have notes here so that hopefully I'll cover the things I plan to cover. But I may or may not, so we'll just see. Um, I want to give you a little bit of kind of where we've come from and how we ended up in Bosnia and Herzegovina and some of that so you have some context and try to give you a little bit of a picture, paint a little bit of a picture of what the country and the people groups there are like. Uh, it is Europe, and there was a time in my life I would have said, why in the world would I go to Europe? They've had their chance. Um, you know, because the Christianity, I mean, even our Christianity really came from Europe or through Europe, via Europe. But um, uh, as I started looking at unreached people groups, and um, there's a lot of different ways you can define an unreached people group. Uh, and the more I looked at it, the more I realized there are plenty of places where the gospel has been at some point, um, but the true gospel is really no longer uh, taught or even present in some of these places. Um, and so uh, Bosnia is one of those places where um, there's a lot of history. You know, there's a lot of Europe that has a lot more history than, you know, goes back further than our country even existing. And so there's a lot of, a lot of history there. And um, for those of you who don't know where Bosnia is at, it's in southern Europe on the Balkan Peninsula. It's a part of former Yugoslavia. So if you're my age or probably a little older than me, you'll really remember Yugoslavia. Um, many people remember uh, Sarajevo hosting the Winter Olympics in, I believe it was 88. Um, and they still are proud of that to this day there. Uh, many of the facilities are still used, and many of them were bombed out during the war. In fact, one of the local tourist attractions in the capital of Sarajevo is the uh, the bobsled luge tracks that they used that, are, that are, were bombed out, and now they're graffitied, what, the pieces of them that are left. Um, and so you can go up in the mountains above Sarajevo and see uh, what's left uh, of that time there. Um, they've since rebuilt their, their ski areas, and, and, and there's some tourist attraction there that brings in some money for the local economy. But by and large, Bosnia was devastated when Yugoslavia broke up in the late 80s, or the early 90s, really, is when things broke out into war. And um, many of you will probably remember during uh, 
during President Clinton's time, uh, there the war, the wars in the Balkans. There were multiple ones. Um, the war in Bosnia and Herzegovina lasted three to five years, kind of dependent on who you ask. And uh, still today, the most common phrases I hear when talking with people and kind of hearing their story is priarata and posliarata, which means before the war and after the war. Don't hear a ton of talk about during the war. They don't like to talk about that as much. But um, many of the people I meet, we, when they start sharing their story, that's like, you know, before the war, I lived here and I did this and we did this. But after the war, this, this, and this. Um, so it's about 30 years ago now and a very defining moment in the history of the country. Um, for those of you who don't know, when people ask me, what language do you speak over there? I say, it depends on who you ask. Because the war of Yugoslavia, or the war, the uh, language of Yugoslavia was Serbo-Croat. And since the war and the resulting um, further division, if you ask a Croatian or a Bosnian Croat, so uh, someone who identifies as a Croatian living in Bosnia, they'll tell you that they speak Croatian. If you ask um, a Muslim in the country, uh, they're sometimes known as Bosniaks, which is very similar to Bosnian. And so then there are certain groups that don't even want to be called Bosnian because they might be identified as Muslim. Uh, but the Muslim people group there will tell you usually that they speak Bosnian. Uh, and if you go to the um, Serbs, the people in the country who identify as Serbs, uh, they'll say they speak Serbian. Um, and if you go a little further south into Montenegro, they speak the same language, basically, and they'll tell you it's Montenegrin. So um, it's, it's, I like to tell people I speak six languages, but four of them are really the same language. So uh, cheating a little bit. But, um, and then English I speak, and I actually spent almost a decade in St. Petersburg, Russia. Um, and so that's some of the history that got us to Bosnia. I, in 2006, began serving with a Christian English teaching organization, and I was teaching English in, Russian, in a Russian university uh, in, in St. Petersburg. And uh, did that for a few years and, and moved into various things. Um, ended up training new teachers year over year, overseeing them, traveling all throughout the former Soviet Union, overseeing teachers while also volunteering at an international Christian school. And uh, met my wife through our previous organization. She was on her way to Azerbaijan. And um, about two weeks into our training, I went to my boss and said, I don't know what we need to fix, but I'm going to marry this one. So um, there's a long story there that I won't tell tonight. But um, I think it was probably God's providence. She had no idea what she was getting into when she said yes. So um, she didn't have quite enough time around me to run away. But um, she's laughing because she knows it's true. But uh, anyway, we, uh, we ended up helping out with a church plant in the international community in St. Petersburg when we went back to Russia together. And through that, God showed us that we wanted to work more with local people and more actively, directly in church planting. Uh, we were kind of support missionaries, really, is kind of what we were doing. About 50% of our school were missionary kids. And so we were kind of missionaries to the missionaries uh, or, or support missionaries for them. And through that experience working in a small church plant, um, he awakened in us the desire to um, work more directly in trying to plant churches uh, and, and especially churches centered around his word and the gospel message. And so 
fast forward a few years and a couple of kids later, and we finally landed on the ground in Bosnia. Uh, we've been there, what's today? Is today the 19th, the 18th, what is it? 19th. We landed there four years ago today. Um, uh, well, we left here on the 18th our time, got there on the 19th their time, that kind of thing. So 18th, 19th is our, our anniversary. Over there we celebrated one day, over here it's another. But um, we, uh, we landed there in Sarajevo, the capital city, and we've spent, we spent two and a half, almost three years uh, working on language, culture, trying to understand what was going on, how we could work with the churches, how we could um, do what God had called us to do there. And uh, at, at that point, we, we had intended always to form a new team and launch to a new part of Bosnia because we work with a network of missionaries really with the goal of every place within not only Bosnia but within the Balkans having access to the gospel. And so when we sat down and looked, we said, where do we have churches, where do we have missionaries, and where do we not? And um, we noticed there were not a lot of people going to the Serbian population. Um, and if you go back far enough, all of these people are related. And they've all intermarried a lot, too. But the divisions really come from uh, the influence of three empires. The Russian Empire brings in an Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, uh, perspective, and uh, that's where the Serbs uh, have their influence from. The Croatians, to be Croatian, more or less, is to be Catholic, and uh, that is a Holy Roman Empire influence. And then the Muslims who are present in the country, if you go back far enough in their history, were probably either Croats or Serbs who converted to Islam when the Ottoman Empire came in. Um, they would literally say, you know, if you want to buy and sell in the market, you have to become a Muslim. And so, as far back as the Ottoman Empire, there, there were tensions between the Muslims and the Christians because the Christians saw them as traitors, you know. And so there's a lot of this history there. There's literally hundreds of years of history that culminated in the wars uh, in the 90s. And, uh, and there's still a lot of pain and a lot of hurt um, back and forth. And one of the things that we noticed in our time there was that walking down the street, unless somebody really wanted you to know that they identify with one of these particular religions, couldn't tell anybody apart. You know, every once in a while you'd run into a Wahhabi um, who would have this really long beard and like no mustache and, and basically be kind of announcing with his wardrobe and all that he was a devout Muslim. Uh, you will see women who choose to cover but you'll also see groups of women uh, together, some who cover and some who don't. It's a, it's a different kind. It's not like what you might see in, um, in Saudi Arabia or in Iran. It's, it's a different flavor. Um, some people will say they're European Muslims. Uh, you know, my wife has a lot of experience, a lot more experience with, than I do, actually, with speaking with the Muslims, uh, because she, she's a certified doula. If you don't know what that is, it's a birth coach who can do more than just, just that, but it, um, it's an area that we would actually like to minister um, using to, to connect with people over there. But she has connected with some women in some communities over there, and um, she was telling me this morning that, you know, she has, she's seen probably, we were talking about kind of how we view the, the Muslim people over there. She's seen a lot more devout people, I think, than I have on a personal level. Um, 
But ultimately, we have landed in a, a city in the southern part of Bosnia that's um, about 98% Serb. And uh, if you do much Googling, there, there's a Rick Steves video, a uh, tourism video on Google, uh, where he's interviewing an Orthodox priest. Uh, and the Orthodox priest says, you know, to be Serbian is to be Orthodox. So, uh, and you would probably see the same thing from Muslims there and from Catholics there. To be Croatian is to be Catholic, that kind of thing. And so we, we have come into a situation with a culture that, um, where their national and ethnic and religious identities are all tied up into one. Um, probably the most similar thing I can think of here that people can relate to is uh, some of our political identities sometimes where you have you know, Democrats and Republicans and, and what it means to be American sometimes is tied up in those things. Um, but even then, it's, it's not a one-to-one -one kind of, it, it's something similar that you might be able to relate to. But um, we, we have found that there are very few what we would call evangelical believers in the country. I was talking to a Southern Baptist missionary recently, and he said, you know, the Southern Baptists have a stat for everything. Like, they, they research, they do a lot of work to see are they being effective, that sort of stuff. And he said the latest stat he had seen was that there was 0.06% of the population in Bosnia that would identify as evangelical believers. And I thought, wow, that is not very many people. Bosnia is about the size of West Virginia, has a population of about three Arkansas. Um, last time I looked at the population numbers. And, uh, and so I thought, man, that is crazy. So I started looking at our city. Our city is about 30,000 people, depending on which numbers you look at. We know of two local believers. That's 0.0006%. Um, it's not very many people. Um, and so however you define unreached, um, there are people there who identify as Christian. Most of the people we run into would identify as Christian. But being a follower of Jesus is about a lot more than a name and about a lot more than a, an identity. No matter how closely held that identity is, it's really about relationship with Jesus. And that's what we're focusing on. I tell people over there when they ask, I'm, I'm with the Baptist churches there, so I'm able to freely identify. I'm not scared for my safety. Uh, although there are some people who might not like me being there, you know, I'm... I'm able to, to say, yeah, like, I work with the Baptist churches, and a lot of times they're like, what is that? Uh, and I have to say, well, it's like Protestant. And they're like, okay, they have some kind of box for that. But then they're like, but what does that mean, or what do you do? Or we, we haven't seen one of those here. Um, because their idea of a church is a lot like what some people here have. Where's your building? And that's your church. You know, but no building is a church without a church meeting inside of it. Because the church is people. Right, And so our goal is to walk the journey with people to Jesus and then beyond in discipleship and to see churches formed. Everything we try to do, we, do, we try to keep it simple and reproducible. We want things to be locally led, locally funded, things like that. We don't want to go in and build a building and have kind of the field of dreams mentality. We build it, they will come. Right, People will come a lot of times, sometimes out of curiosity, and that's not a bad thing. We definitely want to be in the community. We want to be serving the community. We want to be loving people. I like to tell people, 
if you will get in proximity with people, God likes to show up in the spaces between us. But, you know, if you're distant from people, you know, oh, I love you. It's really hard to really demonstrate God's love. But when you will engage with people and serve them and attempt to love them, God likes to show up in those spaces. And the same thing within the church as well. So our team, some of our values, we serve there with another family in our city. And, um, and we walk very closely with the two local believers that we know. And um, we, we spend a lot of time right now praying. We feel like we're kind of digging the footing to lay the foundation in a lot of ways in the city that we're in. Um, and we're spending a lot of time praying and asking the Lord, how can we serve the people of this community? How can we show them? How can we demonstrate your love? And how can we connect with people to be able to share meaningful things, to be able to have spiritual conversations with people? And I've already been able to have some, uh, but I will admit the language is quite a beast. Um, it's still a barrier, even, even though it's also a Slavic language that's similar to Russian in ways. Uh, there are many things about the grammar that I have picked up really quickly, but uh, learning vocab when you're 40 with three kids running around is a lot different than when you're 20, 26 and single and, and in a Russian environment a lot more. So still sometimes when I go to say something, I'll say it in Russian and I get a funny look back because it's a similar language and sometimes the words even come through, but they may have different meanings. So I'll get some funny looks sometimes. I asked the lady at the, at the grocery store one day for a bag she looked at me, and I asked her three times, and she just kept staring at me, and I finally realized I was asking her in Russian, not in Bosnian. So, you know, these kinds of things are sometimes a barrier to us reaching people, but that's why we're there. That's why we're working hard. We're working on learning language. We're doing things to put ourselves into the community. Um, I want to take a little bit of time here, and I might ask you for some interaction. We'll see how, how much you interact with me. Um, but I will warn you that I used to teach middle school Bible, middle school boys Bible. So I am okay with silence when I ask a question. I may wait on you. I want to look at John 14. And uh, we're not going to look at a lot of verses today, but I want to demonstrate a little bit of what we're doing with the local believers that we're reading the Bible with and what we want to be doing with other people in the community soon. Because there are a lot of people there who will say, I'm Christian, but they may not even own a Bible. And we have the opposite problem here. We might have 20 Bibles in our home, but we don't pick them up and read them. Or we read them and we know a lot of stuff, but we don't actually live it out. What's the opposite thing over there where they may not even have a Bible in their home? They rely on their priest to tell them what they need to be doing. Um, if they even go and listen to their priest, some of them just, just do certain things and aren't ever even receiving any instruction. So I wanted to look at a little passage here. Um, we will start our time with the local believers by saying, what's been tough this week? What's been good this week? Um, you know, I don't know about you, but when I get together with my close friends, especially if we haven't seen each other in a while, um, we a lot of times will start with, you know, what's been going on? And we, and we just start by connecting with each other. That's a huge part of the church. We're, we're told in scripture to bear each other's burdens, um, you know, cry when the other one cries, pick them up when they fall, these kinds of things. 
And so we want to begin our time with people by trying to facilitate that sort of connection. And we want to hear the burdens people have. And we want to try to meet those burdens. And so, so we, we start usually with something like that, you know. How's it, go, how's it been going this week? You know, what's been tough? And um, if you're a group of people who are unfamiliar, it may take some time. If you're a group of people who've been together a while, I mean, you might naturally do that. It might not even have to be questions that you have in your format. And what we've been doing is just modeling this with our, our Serbian friends. Instead of saying, here's a program, here's a nice new shiny program. We are another set of missionaries with another plan for you on how you should do it. We've just been doing this with them. And in fact, the first two questions originally were a little bit different. And we learned over time and interacting with them what, what worked? What facilitated communication? What facilitated us sharing our burdens with each other? And so we've adapted uh, that. And, and so usually after that time, we'll move into the scripture reading and we'll read the scripture twice and then we'll ask someone to try to repeat it back, especially if it's a story, uh, like a parable, um, because there's nothing that cements what you're reading in your mind like trying to actually listen and then tell it in your own words. And so we end up also through that focusing on the word because before we ever start talking about what it says, we have heard it three times, read it twice and, and heard it repeated back. Um, I'm probably not going to ask you to repeat it back to me today, but I might. So you might want to listen. I'll just read it once today, though. Starting in, uh, in John 14, uh, uh, verse 12. I'm reading from the HCSB, so it might read a little differently than yours. So I tend to use simpler English versions because I spend a lot of time with non-native English speakers uh, and just because it's easier for me. So I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name... I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't know him, or doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will see me no longer, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the father will send him in my name. 
He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. And so after we read, we read it a couple of times, we retell it, we've kind of got the word going in our head. We usually start with the question, what do we see? What do we learn or what do we notice here about God? And so that's my question to you. And I hope, I hope I'll get a little inter- interaction and I'll repeat it here for anybody who might be watching. But what do you see in this passage about God? He loves us. That's pretty simple. That's pretty obvious right there. What else do you see? He's always with us. What else? We are to keep his commandments. This is perfect. The second question we ask, and sometimes we just ask them together because it's hard to separate them. What do we see here about God? And what do we learn here or see here about ourselves, about people? Yeah, we are to keep his commandments. And if we love him, we will do that. If we don't love him, what happens? We won't keep his commandments. That's right. We see that here too. What else? Anything that you see here about people or about us or or about God or any aspect of, of the Trinity, any aspect of the God? He does. You know, you mentioned that. When I recently reread this passage, I saw something that I know it's always been there, but I never saw it before. I never realized it before. He does say he'll send the Spirit to live in us, but he also says that he and the Father will come and make their home in us. And I've always heard this saying, you know, when we get God, we get all of God. But right here, we specifically see all three parts of the Trinity. It's hard to talk about the Trinity sometimes, but, you know, you see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all come to live in us. We get all of God. That blew me away. I was like, how many times have I read this and not seen that? What else? Anything else you see about God or man? One more thing, and then I'll show you the next question. That's right. We ask for things in his name, and he says, if you ask in my name, I will do them, right? There's, that's something about both of us. That, that's something about how he wants us to come to him and what he wants to do for us. But it also says something about how we should go about things, not on our own, right? Um, we could keep going probably for 20 or 30 minutes here. Um, one thing I've found is when you get with a group of people and you focus on the word and you stay true to it, One, you don't usually end up in heresy as long as you stick with the scripture. Uh, One person might say they see something, but if you go, well, where do you see that here? Then the spirit, I mean, it says a little further over or down in here and and again later, basically God's given us the spirit to guide us into all the truth, right? Um, He didn't say, I have given you your priest or even your pastor to guide you into all the truth. Um, our, our pastor at my home church likes to say, you don't take anything I say as the word of God. You go home and verify it by the word of God. You know, um, he's a pretty good preacher. Generally, what he says comes from the word of God. 
But there have been times, in fact, I remember a time not long after we were overseas, Warren was watching one of their, their things on the web and sent him, a, sent him an email and said, you said something about this, and that really got me to thinking, and I, like, asking him a question, and he responded. Um, but a lot of times, pastors or priests don't, don't do that. And a lot of times, what we get is people sitting in the pews who think, I'm not qualified to read the Word of God and hear from God myself. And that's just not true. I'm not saying that pastors don't spend a lot of time studying the Word or that a seminary or a Bible degree are bad things. But sometimes I think we rely on them too much. And we just say, well, I'll let the professionals teach me the Word of God. But again, it comes back to this is about relationship. The Lord has given us his word, and it's a lot more like a love letter than it is a rule manual or a manual with a bunch of rules, you know? He wants to connect with you through his word. This is the number one way that God wants to speak to us. And so that is what we're doing. That's what we want to be doing with local people where we live. And, and so what we do then, though, it does say up here, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so one of the aspects of what we do is we generally follow up this time of what do we see about God? What do we see about people? And sometimes we'll throw in a different question or a certain passage. It, it lends itself to a little bit different questioning. The point is we're centered around the word and we're trying to draw out of the word what it says, not give it the meaning we want. But then we also say, well, this is really the word of God. We're sitting here reading this, and this is the word of God. And you see these things. Is there something in your life that needs to change or that you need to do differently? Or, or what can you go and do this week in obedience to what we're reading here? Because what we, we want to see is not people with a whole bunch of head knowledge about God or about us and how we relate to God or who we are. It, that, those things are good. But if you've got the whole Bible memorized and you never go and do what God says, the Bible says if you know what to do and you don't do it, that's a sin too. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And so we try to focus on that in the very beginning, not because it's legalistic. I have to do this to earn God's favor but because that's what God intended for us to do with his word, is to go and live it out. And sometimes we do that out of duty. Um, sometimes I do things for my wife out of duty, but that's because I love her. Or because sometimes I'm trying to, and I'm, it's kind of like saying, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes when I try to do something for God, I say, I believe, help my unbelief. Or I love you, or at least I'm trying to, help me love you, you know? And I find that as I obey his word, he tends to bless that, and he tends to reveal more of himself in that. And so the last thing, after we ask people, you know, what, what will you do? What will you change this week? Um, and we're still figuring out how that works sometimes um, in the culture we're in. Um, sometimes if you say, what will you do? And if people give you something, then the next week, if you ask them about it, they feel like they have to lie to you if they didn't do it. So, so we're still navigating how, how does this look exactly in our culture. 
Um, we found that a lot of people have trouble with the application part. Uh, I think that's kind of normal. We all kind of struggle with the application part. Um, so we're trying to figure out the best way to do that in a way that encourages people, uh, not shames them. Um, in a culture that we live in over there, shame can be a, a big deal. So we try to do that in a way that encourages people to follow after Christ and not shames them into following Christ. But um, when we get through that, the, the next thing we say is, you know, is there somebody in your life that you can share this with this week? And we don't necessarily mean sit down and read all of these verses. But can you put this into your own words or, or that thing that God gives you to take away and try to do? Is there somebody in your life that maybe you could share that with? Because in everything we do, we want it to be simple and reproducible. And we want to communicate to people that the word of God is not just for self-edification. God wants a relationship with us and he wants us to share that. And he, and he calls all of us to that. He commands us to do that. You know, I have a specific calling to go to Bosnia, to learn a new language and do things and try to reach people there. It might not look exactly like the calling God has given you, but what I can tell you is that the basic thing that I'm trying to do over there, we've all been commanded to do wherever God has called us to, in whatever role he has called us to, whatever kind of work it is you do, whatever kind of social life you have, the gospel message is for sharing. And the relationship and the love that you have for God is for sharing. You know, I, I have yet to meet a woman who gets engaged and stays quiet about it. Maybe some guys, but generally I, I don't think I've met a guy either who will propose and she says yes and he doesn't go and tell all his friends about it. Uh, maybe if she says no, he wouldn't tell about it. But when you love someone, when you are passionate about someone or something, I mean, how many of you have ever called the hogs? I mean, doing something like that makes you look silly. You've got to like the hogs to do it or, or really be influenced by your father. But still, my point is when you're passionate about something, we were made to share that. We were made for relationship with God, and we were made to, to be filled and overflowing for God. And that's where our true identity and our true purpose lies. So that's what we want to communicate to people over there, and we want to do it in such a way that they own it and that they're walking with the Lord, and that if the government comes to us and says, mm, we don't like what you're doing, leave, that's fine, because it's not a work that is dependent on us. It's a work that is dependent on the spirit, that is dependent on the Lord, and we're teaching people from the very beginning, you don't need us, you don't need anyone else, and that, that can sound very American. What we're, not, we're not saying you, you can go out there and be an island unto yourself, but what we're saying is you don't need professionals to connect with God. Take his word, sit around and read it with your family, and the spirit will, will work. Sure, you got a question, seek out somebody who's spent more time in the word, who maybe is older than you and has wisdom. God has given us different roles to fill within the church, and pastors fill a teaching role, and oftentimes like a, a proclaiming sort of prophetic even type of role that maybe you don't have. Sometimes it's a shepherding role. We, we have different roles that we play, right? 
And some of us, like, we love to study and dig in and dig deep, and we can learn Greek, and we can help people see things that maybe not quite as obvious as what we're doing. Those things are good. But at the basic level, we can all take a Bible and sit down with our friends and read it and ask these four or five questions and try to grow closer to God and, and ask God to bring us along closer. And that's really what we want to see. We want to see churches grow out of people studying his word. And we're being intentional with that. And if you have questions about exactly what we're doing or how we're doing it, um, we, we would love to chat with you more about those things. Um, I'm going to wrap up here, but I, I did want to let you know part of the reason we're in the States just for a couple of months um, is because this fall we're putting our, our oldest, Kai, in a local school. I think we're all going to go to first grade this year. I just hope at the end of the year we all move on. I'm sure he will. I'm not sure I will. But um, when we started looking at things and kind of normal time to come back to the States and share with people, we realized that would fall during his first school year. We didn't feel like it was wise to pull him out of that in his first school year. And so we're like, what can we do? So we put something together this summer, and we're running around kind of like chickens with our heads cut off. But another reason for that was we've been in the city where we plan to be for a long time now, since last August. Our teammates, their family joined us in October. So we've had a good six months together. We've met a lot of people. We've asked a lot of questions. We've begun to see ways that we can serve people in the community. We've begun to see a need for a place to be able to do that. Not necessarily a church building, because I've seen church buildings become burdens on local believers when missionaries leave. But when you can say, yeah, we do this and we do that, and they say, what's that? Well, we have a place over here, and we're doing an event next week, or we're doing this thing in the community, you can come. Uh, that really helps, especially us as foreigners, to be legitimate, to be um, also to be actively doing what we see that the Lord wants us to do. When we see ways to serve in the community, right now we don't, we don't necessarily have a place to do it. Um, we have a goal by October to do uh, some things in conjunction with a local language school. Uh, all of the people on our team are certified to teach English, but we don't want to compete with locals. We want to serve them and we want to bless them. And so we've found a local language school that does a great job of teaching grammar and basic stuff, but they're not native speakers. And so we're going to come alongside them and do things with them in a way that will hopefully build our reputation in the community, um, hopefully allow us to serve and, and minister to people. But doing things like this oftentimes ends up costing money. Having a place of our own to be able to, to rent or, or even buy costs money because we're foreigners. You know, if I'm from here, I can figure out how to do a lot of this stuff really easily. But when you're a foreigner and live there, you got a different set of rules to play by. And so we began to see a need for some more funds to be able to minister to people and do the things that we want to do there. Um, we also, we, we have three kids. We're adding a fourth one this December. Uh, and inflation and such from the, the Ukrainian war is very real over there. Um, because of the war 30 years ago, as soon as the war broke out in Ukraine, many people went and bought up a lot of flour and things like that. They saw what we've been, we're hearing that's coming down the pipeline. They knew it immediately. Um, 
And so we, we run into some extra expenses like that. And so I wanted to share with you, because everybody knows when a missionary comes in that, yes, they want to share their vision and their story, but we also need funds to be able to do the things we want to do. And so I don't like to hide that. Um, if you want to partner with us, we're looking for churches and individuals, just come and talk to us. There are ways you can do that. If you don't have money, I promise you prayer is more important than money. I, every time we run into a financial need, God provides. And it's usually after we post something in our Facebook group, people start praying for us, and within a few minutes, we have an answer. And we will not see a movement of the kingdom of God in Bosnia, in the Balkans, without prayer. We need that more than we need anything. So don't feel bad if you're like, I can't, all I can do is pray. That's not all you can do. Like, if that's all you can do, that's way better than saying, well, I'll give you some money and I'll never think about it again. You know, we need prayers. And we want to share with you the journey that we're walking over there. So we try to post a lot of things on Facebook. We try to send good newsletters so that you can feel involved. We could not be where we're at doing what we're doing without the support of people like you. We have a few churches. We mostly have individuals and families that partner with us and follow along on our journey. And it is a great blessing. Every month I get a little statement that tells me, and I sit down and start reading names, and, and it brings me almost to tears every time. Just seeing how God uses different people to reach the people that we're engaging with that you can't engage with. So if you want to partner with us in some way, come and talk to us. We, we've got time. We're staying at a local hotel, so we got all kinds of time tonight. We don't have to get back on the road until tomorrow. <laughs> so... Uh, and I could probably talk until tomorrow, but I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. I really appreciate you letting me come and share um, some of the vision that God has given us um, for what we're doing. Uh, if you have further questions, there are other things we're involved with, a prayer initiative, a media initiative, trying to, to reach people in Bosnia through media. Um, but everything we're doing is with the goal of seeing people on the ground coming into a relation, relationship with Jesus and walking that path with them. Um, so we would love to talk with you about more. Thank you for answering and, and, and not just letting me stand up here and stare at you when I ask questions. I really appreciate that. Thank you for letting me kind of model and demonstrate what we do instead of just telling you. Thank you, Brother Eric. Okay, well, I, well now I've got a question for you. Do you have a particular place or type of location in mind where you would like to, do you have, do you have that in mind? Do you have yeah, that picked we, out? We have looked at a lot of things. We've got a place that we're looking to rent for right now. Um, we long-term, we would like to maybe purchase, but that's a little bit more complex. Sure. Super. Well, if we can talk about that, because obviously you may have some some numbers in mind, we'd like to know about all that. So, uh, 
Sure, sure. Stick around. He's got a table out here with some stuff on it. You've got some local things, some things from the area, and some prayer cards and those kind of things. And I want you to stop by on there. Uh, now, I'm, and, and I have no shame when it comes for asking for money for someone else. As I mentioned this morning, it cost you guys money to, uh, to rent a van and travel all over wherever you've been going. Came from Teague, Texas today. So if you can help out with their travel expenses, uh, you can, uh, I think I'll have somebody out in that vestibule. We'll be in this vestibule, just hand it to one of us. You hand it to Joe. You hand it to uh, Brother Danny out there. He'll be out there, uh, Brother Jeremy or myself. Find one of us. I don't think we'll be posted up with a plate, but, but help them out because we'd really like to help them at least get up and down the road and while they're here in the States. And I'll, we'll be, of course, continuing this conversation out in the hall there. So be sure and stick around. Uh, he'll be here as long as you want to be here. So thank you for coming and sharing that with us. And um, anything before we close, anything at all, let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer. And I'm glad that you showed up and stick around and ask the questions. We'll get some information on what else uh, uh, he needs uh, as far as his specific needs are going on.